Welcome, this is Cassie Shield, Chief Growth Officer of Refined Labs, and your host of today's episode of Stacking Growth, where I talk with Carl Ferreira, Director of Sales, about how to influence and drive change across your go-to-market organization. Welcome, everybody, to the Stacking Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Cassidy Shield. Today, I'm very excited. We have the one and only Carl Ferreira on the show. Carl is also a co-host of this podcast, and he runs sales here at Refine Labs. Carl, welcome to the show. Cassidy, great to see you. Thanks for having me. And uh, I might be the one and only, but we don't know. You know, maybe I had a twin out there somewhere. So... <laughs> Someone who shaved their face. I don't know. Well, they're definitely the inferior twin if they don't have that beard that you have. Absolutely. Thank you for noting that. So I'm excited about this topic, this this idea of influencing change in an organization. Because if you think about what a company does when you're trying to sell to a customer, this is part and parcel of what we're trying to do is we're trying to create change or a better world in our customers' lives. Uh, this is something that marketing needs to be doing as part of a go-to-market strategy. But the reason I think it's great to be talking to you is because this is the sales job day in and day out. Um, yeah. How do you get customers to change? And so I want to dig into that uh, with you. I know you have a lot to say on the topic, but first, I'm not going to let you get off without telling us a little bit about yourself. Nice. Of course. Yeah. So um Carl Ferreira, head of sales here at uh, at Refine. I actually am an ex HubSpotter, so I sold there for a couple of years. Um, love HubSpot. Shout out to them. And yeah, I've been in SaaS sales for five, six years or so. Um, two little girls, married. They love dance and gymnastics. And yeah, when I'm not, you know, closing deals or enabling my team to close deals now gosh i'm just hanging out with them working out helping them with their with their gymnastics uh activities and stretching and flipping and their tumbles so i'm uh, i'm hashtag dad life all the way are you a balance beam guy a floor exercise like what's your uh, go-to gymnastics move uh on your end yeah yeah definitely a floor exercise guy so my daughters will do it and i will just kind of like sit in the corner so i definitely enjoy the floor exercise <laughs> portion of, of the routine the best. It allows me to sit. I pretend like I'm stretching um, and just cheer them on. So I love that. Um, why don't we just, you know, I know the conversation is about how others can influence change in an organization, but like change is going to be um, synonymous through this conversation. HubSpot's a great company. Why Refine Labs? Let's just talk about you and kind of how you think about change in your own personal life to kick this off. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and one that I actually uh, don't act, don't get a lot, which is surprising whenever someone's, you know, we're talking about kind of my career, my career transition. Um, but when I was first thinking about leaving HubSpot, it was actually, it was, it was a tough decision. Um, as you can imagine, you know, I feel like a crazy person for leaving a place like HubSpot. Uh, even my wife was like, you're a crazy person. Like they send stuff, they send swag to your kids. Like they do a lot. Um, they go above and beyond for sure. Wonderful product. I mean, you know, especially the last two years, everything going on in the world. I mean, HubSpot was very much in a way a beneficiary of a lot of the transformation that businesses had to go through. So 
it was uh, it was a good few years. I think for me, I was thinking a few steps ahead. I was like, where do I want to go? Who do I want to become? Um, what's the kind of leader I want to become? Maybe even father or just individual, right? So I was I was kind of on this self uh, reflective journey of like, who who am I becoming? And am I am I in the environment to become that person? And that's when I started to realize that maybe HubSpot wasn't the perfect fit. Uh, however great of a company it was, it wasn't a perfect fit for who I was, you know, wanting to or dreaming of or envisioning that I that I would become. And who I was trying to become was somebody who could build, you know, somebody who could build sales teams, build processes, uh, build strategy, build a business, build a vertical, things like that. Um, and HubSpot's wonderful, but a lot of the building is, for the most part, complete at HubSpot. HubSpot is in a later stage. Like they need execution, right? A lot of like their their machine is well oiled. It's humming. It's going. There's not a lot of opportunity for just building new. So I realized that if I was going to move up the chain of command, which I had an opportunity to do, right? Move up to sales management and then director, VP, and kind of go off the traditional sales growth career path. Um, I wasn't going to do a lot of building in those areas. I was going to be doing a lot of adopting, right? Adopting a team that was already built, adopting a vertical that was already built, right? And I just found myself like, man, I want to, I want to be the builder. Can I build? I don't know. You know, I want to try that though. And so that's when I kind of started to explore, have conversations and, um, I don't know if Chris got some kind of intent signal somewhere from some kind of software that he uses, you know, but uh, he happened to send me a, a DM on LinkedIn in like uh, August of last year, which was kind of when I was beginning to think through this and he invited me to a conversation and it turned out to be a pure building role with Chris at Refine Lab. So it was, it was awesome, you know, a great opportunity. And obviously here I am. So that was kind of my initial thinking and how I thought through that. Well, I'm glad you're here. Um, I've enjoyed working with you. And what I want to do in this conversation with you is it would be great by the end if we have a framework so our audience can go away and say, these are the, let's call it five steps I need to go through in order to drive change in my organization. And what I love about your story is my bet is who you want to become is one of those steps. Yeah. And that's what you did in your personal life. My bet is this is what you try to do with your customers. Yeah. But let me ask you. Yeah. So every day you're talking to customer or prospect after prospect um, about what they need to do to change. What is that like? What is your process, your thought pattern? How do you do that as a salesperson? Yeah, yeah, it's a big question. I think the first, the first thing you, I think you're dead on is I, I need to uncover who is it that this, well, really, you know what, actually, the first question is not who are they wanting to become? The first question is, who are they today? You know, what is their organization like today? Um, what's their marketing team built like today, right? So it's like, who am I today? And, and, and you know, I did that in my own journey. And I'm sure you've done that as well, where it's like, this is who I am today. It's what my, maybe you look at your resume as a barometer for that. Like, these are the things that I have done. These are the things that people say about me. Uh, these are the outcomes I produce. Uh, maybe I'm an underperformer, an average performer, an overperformer. Like, who, who am I right now? And I think that's a really important starting place. So that's, all, you know, that's honestly where a sales conversation starts is 
you've come to me. There's a need somewhere, but let's 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 push the brakes before we just jump into that because that's like phase two. Like buyers want to jump into that second phase of this is what I want, and they don't say this is who we want to become, but they're they're saying that in in a in a way where they're 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 highlighting problems. But that's not the right that's not the right place to start. The right place to start is who am I today? Who are we today? And that allows me alongside the buyer or the customer to make sense of the outcomes that they're producing today. A lot of times there's, you know, um, not great outcomes being produced if they're coming inbound to us or they're taking a conversation with us. So it's like, can we make sense of that? Can we even point to what, what may be the root cause of some of these? And a lot of times the root cause is found in a self kind of reflective, you know, uh, even 10 or 15 minutes of who are we? What do, what do we do today? And why might it, can we develop a hypothesis for why we think we're producing the outcomes that we're, that we're producing? I really like this idea of who are they? And so let me kind of, if I put it in this other world, you know, another context, it's kind of like, what is the current state? And so like, whether you're talking to a prospect or you're talking to, let's say your CMO, your CEO, and you're trying to figure out how to drive change, a lot of people don't want to talk about the current state because it's kind of admitting something doesn't work. They'd rather just say, this is what I need. Yeah. So how do you get, um, in this case, the prospect to open up and want to slow down and talk about that? I think it's uh, selling them. I don't know if sale, sell is the right word, but I think it's it's um, opening their eyes to the fact that we, we can't achieve what they're these needs if we don't understand so it's like we like this is important foundation to understand if we're going to go from a to b we need to understand where a is or we won't really have a clear we'll be shooting in the dark getting to b and you get this a lot you've gotten this like being on sales calls and being a you know a revenue leader it's like we want to grow this much right 30 percent this year 50 percent 100 percent you know we hear some wild goals in our line of work and it's like, where are we starting? You know, like, how do you know where the finish line is if you don't know where the starting line is? Um, and I think just talking through that, it, 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 typically, it typically makes sense. And honestly, it's a good, not to get salesy here, but it's a good barometer for if, if this opportunity is worth pursuing, right? Uh, if they really are resistant to kind of unpacking who they are today, th this is, you will lose this deal. Right. Uh, because this is what's necessary to do all the stuff that has to come later, not just closing a deal, um, not just, you know, understanding how do we solve our problems, but they're going to get jammed up when they go to their CEO, their CFO, whoever's above them in the chain of command. And they try to bring a bunch of solutions without really clearly identifying what the problem is. And oh, by the way, this solution is half a million dollars. It's that that conversation is not going to go anywhere, right? So you you can't affect change without understanding, you know, the starting line. And 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 again, going back to the original point, like who you are today, it's fundamental. What if you um? What if the person doesn't know? How do you help them figure that out? And you know, I'm putting this in the context of the prospect, but think about you know, you're a marketing manager in a company, and you're trying to influence change, and you're trying to get the other person to understand the current state. Or where they are today, but they can't, they don't know. Um, and I think you probably get this a lot yeah. on sales calls, like this idea that, 
I don't, I really know how we're doing today, but I just know we need to do better. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I actually, I love that. It's an opportunity uh, for us to step in and help. Like that's the first, like we can start helping now. You don't have to pay me a dime and now we can start helping and you can get value. Even if you don't hire us, you'll walk away with, I know exactly where we are today. Um, so I think that's a really positive moment in a conversation. And for you know, um, a marketer or anybody who comes inbound, anybody who's trying to affect change in their organization, like that, I think that's a sign of strong leadership to be able to admit, especially to a stranger, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't know why we're doing this. Like, can you help me? That's an amazing foundation, I think, because like we can, cool, we can start there, you know? And it's not just with a salesperson that you want to be able to open up like that. A salesperson needs to earn like, a measure of trust, but. I think if you can, I think if you want to grow in your career and affect change in your organization, you also need to get to that kind of humble, transparent point with your peers in an organization, whether maybe it's your CEO or your CRO, CGO, or whoever it is. I think that's a really like admitting, you know, uh, admitting that that you don't know where to start, you're not entirely sure why you're, or your the results you're producing aren't aren't great. That's that's a great starting point. So. Yeah, one, one technique I've used um, around this, uh, in particularly internally when you're trying to drive change, is um, the idea of like, well, let's just start with what our goals and objectives are. And do we know that as a company or yeah. a team or an organization? And then from there, you know, collectively, are we meeting those goals or objectives or not? And if, or if we don't yeah. know what they are or we don't know how what we do ties into the company's objectives. How do we figure that out first? Because I think the point you're making is, you know, who you are today and what is going on needs to be verbalized and crystallized in order for you to have any shot at changing an organization or a team moving forward. You, you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, you can't, you know, remodel your house without knowing that, the drywall is rotting away, you know, or ripping up the floor and looking underneath and seeing like, that's what has to happen first. A little bit of demolition to use this analogy, I think needs to happen. You've got maybe some indicators on a dashboard in HubSpot or wherever in CRM that's like, okay, there's maybe some unhealthy things happening, but until you get in there with a hammer, you know, a sledgehammer and really like get underneath it all and figure out where's the rot, where's the rust, we're, you, you can't fix anything, right? So that's that's what a good seller does. But even before that, you don't need a salesperson to do this. It's always amazing to me. And I think this is like a mistake that a lot of um, you know leaders make. And I appreciate that they make this mistake because they involve me in the conversation. But a lot of times I'm like, why? You don't need me to have this conversation, right? Really, you should bring this to me already done. You know, like you, you should have already ripped out the drywall and, and kind of done a, an assessment of, why are we producing the results we're, we're producing if, if they're not on target, you know? Um, so anyways, super important to go through that. And I think you're dead on. So you have this idea of where you are today. People probably, I'm going to put words in your mouth, come to you with an idea of where they want to go. How often do yeah. they understand how to get there? Oh, very, very rarely. I mean, if ever. You know, maybe that's a little hard. I don't want to say 100% of the time they, they don't know how to get there, but most of the time they don't. Um, and let me qualify that. Sometimes they do. Let me give let me give all of our buyers some credit, all the buyers on the planet some credit. 
sometimes they they have an idea, but it's like it's not fleshed out. It's super vague, maybe, you know, like you'll get this a lot. I got this at HubSpot a lot. Like we're not, do, you know, driving enough revenue and we need to start doing content marketing. You know, It's like, okay, you have an idea of what you need to do, but you don't understand really the nuts and bolts of like what's involved. Same pe- same thing happens at Refine, right? You, 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 you hear these calls, they come inbound and they're like, we need more pipeline. Marketing isn't generating enough uh, qualified pipeline or... We're spending a bunch of money and we get a bunch of MQLs and none of them close. We need to create demand. So they'll say something very vague like that. And it's like, can you help us do that? Well, I mean, maybe, but we have to unpack this a lot because just to say, hey, we need to go create more demand. There's a lot involved in that. There's You got to have the right people. You got to have the right processes, tech stack, frameworks. You got to think in the right way. So I think they come with an idea, but rarely is it, is it buttoned up or, or fully fleshed out? And, and I think that's, yeah, this that's normal, to, to me, so. what I often hear from um, people earlier in their career, whether internally or externally is they have a sense that the status quo or the current state, who they are today, isn't working. They have, uh, they've heard where they need to go by some executive and they know what they're doing today is not going to get them there. And what happens, though, in the disconnect that I think you're highlighting is it, the, it ends there. Like, that's the complaint. Like, nobody's stepping forward and saying, "That's it. Yeah. how do I get from point A to point B? And so yeah. Yeah. you do this every day and you learn how to do it. You've learned how to do that with the prospects. Like, how, how do you advise somebody, you know, earlier in their career to figure that out? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's, you know, one, just getting vulnerable with those around you. Like most organizations are pretty filled with smart people who have been there, done that. Right. And there's lots of moments, as you know, when I don't know entirely what is going on or why we're producing this result. What do I do? Right. I don't run to a salesperson. I run to you. Right. Or maybe trusted mentors in Pavilion or something like that. So I think that's the first thing when you're early in your career, like be okay. I would, I would say I'm still very early in my career. Like just be okay. Like not knowing stuff and put yourself in an environment where there are people that know stuff, a lot of stuff. That's what I love about refine, right? Is like everybody here knows a lot more than me about things. So like lean on that. People are a lot more willing to help you though. I think a lot of times than then you're willing to admit a lot of times you're kind of nervous, like, Oh, I don't want to ask for help and be seen as not smart or should I know this as a part of my job function? So they hide and they just kind of fade away. They don't produce the results. And then they have this very average career, you know, whatever it is, like step out and be bold and say, Hey, I'm great at these things. I suck at these things. Who can help? I've never found a sh- in my career, in my short career. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to pose this question back to you. Like, I don't think I've ever had a situation where I was made to feel dumb for not knowing something, or I was always numerous people stepped in and are like, I can help you with that. So, and I think that's, you know, it's, it also helps with the other piece of affecting change in your organization, which is deepening the relationships, expanding the relationships around you. And I think, so there's a lot of symptoms that are happening here that, that we never really resolve because we're afraid to step out. Um, especially a lot of, a lot of early career folks who try to figure stuff out on their own. Um, I remember 
when I was coaching a whole bunch of new sellers at HubSpot and um, they were like, Carl, how'd you have such a stellar like first year at HubSpot? I won an award called the Rising Star Award, which is essentially like a rookie of the year award. And they were like, how did you do that? You know, and that, that was like the magic question for all the ramping reps was how do I be like the rising star? How do I like overachieve? How do I crush my ramp goals? And I always like one, one of the one of the, the points that I would make was be annoying, like ask questions to everyone, like never stop asking questions. The reps that I found that succeeded like me were super annoying all the time in Slack. Hey, can I meet with you? Meeting with top performers, meeting with average performers, networking in other parts of the business to try to fully understand what's going on here. And then the reps that struggled, never heard from them. You never saw them in Slack asking questions. You never saw them stepping out. They stayed quiet on Zoom calls or training calls with enablement. They're always afraid to ask quite. You never heard from them. And then eventually they weren't on the waterfall anymore. And you go to their LinkedIn and they went and, and took some other role, right? And I'm just like, mm, man, if you would have stepped up, you know, uh, you would have been able to, you know, stand out in some way. So I'm, I don't want to ramble about this, but I think it's important, not just for new sellers, but for anyone that's either early in their career or early in a role, like be that gong that is that is asking. So I, tell me, Cassidy, like in your career, uh, obviously, you know, longer than mine and, much more successful than mine thus far. What, I mean, how was it that you kind of were able to network within your organizations, affect change, get the help you needed to become the leader that you are today? Yeah. I mean, the tech, I'd agree with what you said. I mean, I think the key to a successful career is knowing what you don't know and being comfortable with it. I would say, yeah. um, maybe where you and I differ is I, I feel like you're a, an extroverted person and you love going off and talking to people and I'm not. So like, how do you overcome this? I know what I don't know. And I need to figure out from those around me, like you said, those smarter than me and have more experience. How do I learn from them? And the trick that I've, I've done in my head um, is I just get curious. So mm -hmm. if I don't know anything, I try to mentally say, to myself, I'm just curious about what Carl knows and I want to go ask him a bunch of questions. I'm curious about how this thing works in our company and I'm going to go ask. So I don't know if that's a hack or what, but as an introverted person, when I'm even still today in a room full of people, I really have to turn the knob up to be like, I'm curious to hear what uh, somebody else has to say and that helps me kind of get over the hump of... Um, you know, kind of the inability to get out of my shell and, yeah, and, you know, and seek education and understanding from others. But I absolutely agree with you. It's like you're reframing. Exactly. Yeah. You're reframing it in your mind of what you're doing. For me, I don't need the reframe. I'm just like, go slack people. But you, you're like, go slack people. No, I'm not comfortable with that. Let me reframe this in my mind. You know what? I'm just interested and curious. So that's, yeah, that's that's what you're doing. You're almost like convincing or selling yourself on something different that's really, this, it's the outcome is the same. Exactly, exactly. So I think it's important to understand no matter who you are and your personality, like what is the the mechanism you need to go through or the mindset you need to have in order to kind of seek out knowledge from others. And I think, what we've uncovered here is this, there's two ways to do yeah. it between you and I, and there's many others uh, depending who you are. But I think the key to your success is the ability to do that. Yeah. Somehow. hundred percent. 
Yeah, I think that's been a huge key to my, you know, success has been soak it all up, learn everything. And when you have everyone's different perspective, what I found it like informs a lot of the things that you're thinking of. And then it like introduce you discover new things, right? Because you think of it as like data or maybe mining or something. I don't know what a good analogy would be here, but it opens up the room for discovering of making new discoveries in your strategy, which I'm always seeking to do, you know, and I know like Chris is like, we have a culture at Refine of discovery, like what's new that we haven't thought about? Is there a different way to think about this? And when you're only getting the inputs from your own brain and you're only thinking of things the way you think of things and you don't get new data from other um, channels, other peers, whatever it is, whether you're a big reader, a podcast, it like you really choke the opportunity to make those new discoveries and that and it's going to harm you you know and it's it's not fun it's so fun to make discoveries you know so i think there's something there as well um that that's that's pretty powerful you know and something i look for and, and look to try to do you know let me pivot this a little bit so we have you know understanding the current state and who you are there's kind of where the company wants to go there's your discovery process to figure out how we do that. Yeah. But I've never seen change happen with somebody without somebody putting their ass on the line. Yeah. And so you now have the information. How do you go about building the courage and kind of the point of view that you need to have to enforce the change and putting it out there? Yeah, good question. I think there's different degrees of the person, right? Sometimes they come in and they're uh, already ready to put their neck out there. And sometimes they're not. And so I think that when you are when you when you've got a buyer or someone that is not open yet to uh, to to put to putting their neck out there, I think it's making it personal is a really is, is I think is the road that I try to take. Right. I'm like, especially at Refine Labs. Refine Labs is really interesting because like if we are successful with you and your marketing team or your sales team or whoever we're working with, like this is going to change your, the trajectory of your career. This isn't just like, Oh, more demand. You're going to get more inbounds. It'll be so great. You know, and you'll go to president's club or, or whatever. It's like, no, you're going to be able to own this, own this success. I mean, so the trust that you're going to build, if you can accomplish the goals that we're doing, because we're sticking our neck out there as well. Right. We make promises and pipeline promises to our customers. So it's there's a combination there. And, and that, I think, creates uh, the comfort and trust with the buyer. But at the end of the day, if we win, the stakes are pretty high. Now, on the other side, if we lose, the stakes are high there as well. And so anyways, to answer your question, I think that the reframe there happens to get people, you know, kind of into this uh, empowered state of courage where I want to go pitch this and stick my neck out there for this one is just bringing clarity to what it is that we're doing, how we're going to get there, which goes back to the first two points we made, understanding who we are and who we need to become to achieve the goals that we want to achieve. And then the next is what does this mean for me personally? And let me tell you, if you can drive 100, 150% uplift and marketing source qualified pipeline in a couple of quarters, reduce sales cycles, increase ACVs, things like that. That's going to change your career. Um, and it's going to change the way your peers perceive you. Uh, it's going to be very, you know, compelling catalyst for wherever you're trying to take, you know, your career, your company. So connecting those dots is really important, making it about them. It's, it's not about 
refine labs anymore, their company, whether it's a, you know, a Cognizm or, a, you know, a Miro or whoever, it's, it's like, this is about me as a marketer and really leveling with them on that level. It's very, it's a powerful moment. How as an individual do you get, how as an individual do you deal with the risk in that equation? So I liked how you outlined that. And I think it's easier to imagine what success looks like, but it's daunting when you think about what if it doesn't work and what's that mean to me? So as an individual, which I absolutely agree, you need to think about it, uh, what it means to you individually or the person you're talking to. Yeah. How do you mentally manage that risk and maybe put yourself in your own personal situation when you think of about the times you've made us a leap or a step in a new direction. How do you come to grips with um, the pros and the cons here? Yeah, the risk can be large and I'm very empathetic to this. I tell our sales team, you know, like we're not cheap. And so like there is an enormous amount of risk that's involved, um, whether we believe it or not. We know that we'll crush it, but the customer at the end of the day is signing before they've, they see results. And so I think the first step is being really on the sales side, being really empathetic to that because it can be easy to just dismiss that level of risk and push the sale forward and, you know, be more aggressive, et cetera. And I think there's space to step back and say, this is a really big decision, Cassidy. And I think where we can, there's two ways that we can minimize this risk in the mind of the buyer and not just in their mind, in reality, right? We're not trying to do a magic trick here. Um, and, 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 and fake anything. Right. But there, there's, there's two things in my mind. And the first thing is being absolutely clear about how we're going to get there. So like, this makes sense. Like this is logical. This is not pie in the sky. And we, and, and then a combination of this first step is uh, customer stories, right? Like we've done this before. Not only do we know how to get from A to B, we've done it before. Um, and here's how we did it. And being honest about, where we maybe fell short and where we succeeded and where we unexpectedly succeeded and where we maybe unexpectedly fell short in some things. Um, that's the first piece, understanding clarity. The second piece is don't make this decision alone. Uh, I tell my sales team this uh, all the time. You don't like you don't, don't lose alone. Same thing. I would, that advice I would give to uh, buyers is do not try to do this alone. You don't want only your ink on this contract. And that kind of goes into the part of the sale where it's like, are you any good at building this consensus and bringing change internally? Because a sale happens in internal conversations, whether we like it or not, it happens apart from the salesperson, which is an external conversation. This happens in board meetings, it happens in QBRs, that's, that's where the sale really happens. So enlisting your peers in this as well, mitigates risk. And when you're trying to do this lone wolf and bring somebody like Refine Labs or even like a HubSpot or a piece of tech all alone, a lot of risk there. Don't do that. You know, enlist your peers um, and make it y'all's decision and not your decision, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I love that. It makes complete sense. So how do you do that? How do you influence your peers to get them on board? And what I've found in my career, especially early on, is you can get so sucked into like, this is what we need to do. It's so obvious. Yeah. Why doesn't everybody just get on board? Um, and, you know, oftentimes you have way more context than they do. So how do you, how do you take a step back and do that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, buyers should be more understanding. There's more, a lot more going on in a business than what's going on in their department. And a lot of initiatives like hiring Refine Labs or buying HubSpot, 
uh, it, it's not like this is not just affect marketing. So I think the first thing is like, even though I'm trying to solve my problems here, uh, this is going to cause ripples in other places. Let's surface the exciting ripples and float those to other departments, right? So it may be like, hey, you know what? The sales team isn't going to be involved in this Refine Labs purchase, but they're going to be major beneficiaries of this. How can I go to Carl, the VP of sales over there, and get him excited about what I'm working on? It's so powerful, Cassidy, you know, in, in our sales processes here, when you see marketing and sales leadership come together in our sales process, super powerful because there's like cross-functional trust being built. Marketers are empowered because they're like, shoot, Carl, the VP of sales has my back on this. Like that's very empowering, you know, and, and vice versa. And then now when you take this up to the CEO or the CFO and they have two of their revenue leaders that are highly paid that they trust to make moves in an organization, um, collaborated and excited about something, this process gets a lot easier. So float things, sell things to other departments. A mistake that I see buyers make is they try to, again, make these decisions in little silos. No, I don't want to loop in these people. It's because they don't know how to loop in others. It's not like, hey, can I get your feedback on this? It's more of like, hey, do I want to share this with you because it might be exciting to you. Like get them enrolled in the emotions of who you're trying to become. Um, like this is a company we're becoming. Like, can we get excited about this as a team? And things get a lot smoother from there. And like, you know, change and influence is achieved much, much more easily, which goes back to our, our, our first point of de-risking this purchase or this initiative massively. So how have you seen it in kind of your own organizations when you're trying to sell something internally? Is that your approach or do you take a different approach? It is definitely an approach I've taken. I think what's interesting is what if you don't have those relationships? What do you do? What if the relationships um, antagonistic? Um, you hear this a lot between marketing and sales. So uh, I love the mm. theory of being able to get the other person excited, but but what if the the makings of that relationship don't even exist? How do you go about doing it? Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, that's something that I would say you that that's a part of my, the very first point on this conversation was, do we fully understand who we are today? And I think that's a very important item to uncover, probably before you involve a salesperson. Super happy you came inbound. I can help you with this. But that's, I think, a part of that first step is understanding who are we today? Okay, we're not achieving the results in my specific vertical or department and on the marketing team. Of, we're not producing the results we need. Also, alignment and cross-functional relationships um, are damaged, harmed, never been built, non-existent, great, etc. That's That's a part of it. Um, that harms us as an organization. So to your question, how do we handle that once we know that it's it to be reality, I think is probably not necessarily floating, hey, get excited about this, right? Nobody gets excited if they don't like that other person or like there's animosity there. Uh, and so I think the approach I would take there is clarity and understanding. It'd be more of a, instead of, hey, Carl, come get excited about this. This is what we're working on. I wanted to get your thoughts. That's a great tactic or strategy, I think, if there's a positive established relationship. If there's not, I think the strategy is, hey, I'm working on something. 
I wanted to potentially align with you and get your feedback, um, you know, and see if there's something that I can help you with or, or, or better understanding them and trying to give instead of taking like, hey, come see this and, and bring me your energy. Maybe it's more of, hey, I'm doing something. I want to make sure I'm thinking about your team and fully understanding what your goals are and see if this can help you too. I, if, if, if I'm don't have a great relationship with VP marketing, um, I would be a lot more open, I think, to them coming to me and saying, hey, let me better understand you. And I think that could open up and, and produce fruit and a more positive relationship there at a foundational level. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I like that approach. I'm going to give one other and maybe we'll maybe yeah. we tack a little bit and talk about what you think of this. Yeah. Um, so they walk through this framework. It's where are we today? Where do we want to get to? Here's my vision and plan to get there, which is kind of what we've outlined. How do I get yeah. others on board? You talk through a great way of getting your colleagues on board. You don't want to be doing this yourself. Absolutely. This needs to be a yep. joint recommendation with the people who are tied into the outcome. Another way to do this is to outline um, what are the alternatives? And this mm. is, a to me, a, the secret sauce that I've actually seen clinch a lot of change programs and you know really what you outline are three things one is we do nothing what happens because there's an inherent risk in that plan that hasn't been verbalized or communicated clearly and you need to do that then there's like your plan option two we go all in and we do x y and z here's what that yeah. could look like pros and cons and then the third could either be somewhere in between, call that a stepwise move to the future, to your plan, or it could be the person who's the antagonist plan and you put them on the spot. And you bring that to the decision makers in charge. So that's yeah, powerful. What's your reaction to that? Is that bullshit? Is that no? No, not at all. I think yours is, I think my approach was a little bit more relational. And I think your approach is a little bit more tactical, where you're just laying out what the scenarios are, right? Uh, my approach, again, a little bit maybe more political. Um, how do we win their hearts? And you're, and you're more taking an approach of first, like, hey, how do we win their minds? How do we remove options to where there really is, is only a clear path? Because to say, hey, scenario one is we do nothing. That's really to say, that's not an option, right? So it's like we're removing optionality here and kind of removing emotions. So I definitely like your approach. Um, I still think, here's my challenge to that though. I still think that there's a level of relationship there needed to, you know, why am I gonna listen, like your plan, like we don't have a relationship, right? And why am I gonna spend time giving you my plan? This is your problem to solve. So I still think, that there's a level of enrollment necessary there to be able to come to into the war room into the, the and, and we're at the war table right and we've got the map of the territory that we want to conquer there's still a level of collaboration that has to happen there in order for us to align on okay what are our options here um in you know as we are trying to accomplish whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish so maybe we've settled on a hybrid here but i again there's a relationship piece there. I think that's missing. You come to me and you're just like, hey, what's your plan? 
here's my plan or we do nothing. And we've got some animosity. I don't know. I think there may be still some hurdles there. So what do you think? You've done it way more than me. So yeah, I definitely always start with the the first move that you made. And that and really what you're trying to do is you're trying to draw out, you know, in those conversations that can be difficult, you, you need to put yourself in the shoes of empathy for the other person. What is this person what are they trying to achieve? Yeah. What do they want? And what can I do to help them out, even if that conversation's painful and they don't want to open up to you? Yeah. But what you're trying to get to is that person or that team has to be able to articulate their vision and an alternative. Yeah. And ideally you do this behind closed doors, as yeah. you've talked about, like how do you come to shared ground and move this thing forward together, which I agree is like yeah. the best way to do it. However, if you can't do that, you need to be able to create a situation where they have to have an alternative and their alternative can't be, I'm just shitting on your idea but I don't have an alternative. Right. And so, you know, plan B is like, how do you draw that out right. into the battlefield um, in order to have that conversation and kind of flush it out? So ideally you don't need to get to that situation in front of a room full of senior leaders um, because the path that you took uh, will work effectively. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I uh, wanted to ask you a question that I essentially just lost um, as you were talking there, but I wanted to ask you about like past experiences. I mean, when, when do you feel like this has gone south for you when you've tried to affect change internally and it hasn't worked out? I mean, I'd love to hear Cassidy, like if you have any war stories or, um, situations where you tried to deploy tactic A versus tactic B and how did that, and how did that work out? Yeah. The very clear, uh, when I failed, it's been the following scenario, and that is painted a clear current state, future state, path to get there. Likely had buy-in at the senior level. Let's call that the CEO or wherever you are in the company, you know, your boss's boss or something. And then just started marching forward without getting everybody else on board. Mm -hmm. Like the idea that like just because somebody said we should do this at a senior level, like it is there and therefore anointed and everybody's going to line up and participate and do their part and think you're a genius and completely shit the bed multiple times when I've gone down that route. Yeah. And so what I think is important along that way is part of your plan to get there is like, great, we're philosophically aligned with the right folks. Now we need to go make sure I have buy-in for all the people it's going to impact. And they actually may have feedback that makes the plan better. Yeah. And every time I've kind of gone that route, I either got the buy-in first and then went to senior leadership or got the philosophy bought in and then went and built um, consensus in terms of like prioritization and execution. Things go great. When I don't have that kind of top to bottom, inevitably I've failed. So for me, like I'm an ideas guy, you know that I'm like, have a new idea. There's a new Google doc every day of like some grand thing that I want to accomplish in the organization. So how do, how do you, what advice? And I think there's a lot of marketers that are like that because they come inbound and I talk to them, right? They're like, boom, big idea. We're going to change the company. Here's the plan. How do you uh, temper? Like, I guess advice, what I'm asking is advice for those types of people that are like, I don't want to say type A but are like, just get excited, get very emotionally invested in an idea and start to run with it before they've stepped back and maybe built a hypothesis 
and gotten feedback from, especially if the plan involves a bunch of other stakeholders. So for that type of um, persona, I guess you could say, what would your advice be to them in like not squelching that energy, but managing it in a way that's going to probably create a more successful outcome? So here's an idea. I would decouple these two things. They're is immense value in being an idea generator. And you always want to be able to, in your own way, create ideas and have a backlog and foster those and talk to people and kind of get feedback. And that's kind of your idea generator. But then you also have to be able, you need to be able to think in the context of like what the company can do and absorb at any single time. So you need to figure out mm. which ideas in my backlog of my list deserve or require some type of experimentation or plan around that we can actually get executed as a company. And what I find often is the idea generators go from one idea to another. Like you'll be like, Cassie, I have this great idea today. Boom. We should go do that. I get another one the next day and another one the next day. And all the ideas are great. But as a you're telling people you're telling people who are listening what our private Slack it looks like every single day. So. Just using you as a hypothetical card. Um, and I think it's important to be able to understand what is which of these ideas can we execute and how we execute it. So it's kind of this notion of ideas are great, but execution makes the difference. And so how do as an individual do you kind of recognize my value is an idea generator, but I also need to, I can't throw it over the wall and, and expect somebody else to figure it out. I need to be able yeah. to carry my idea through to execution and get buying along the way. And that requires you to pick and choose um, which of those ideas that you want to kind of put forth at the rate and speed that a company can absorb. And every company is going to be different um, in how they um, can absorb and execute on ideas. Yeah. So next question then, I guess, for like the idea generator. So we have this backlog now, right? And it sounds like you have kind of a, I don't want to put you on the spot to articulate a framework or anything, but how would you go about thinking about prioritization of these ideas? Do you have a framework or, you know, are you, are there a couple of things, like how would you organize then this list to start to think, all right, I'm going to prioritize these top three and then start to invest more time in uh, talking with my peers, gathering more information, uh, uncovering if this is something it, realistically that the organization can execute on and absorb. A few ways uh, that would come to mind to think about this list. One is um, you hit on it. How do other people react in the organization to these ideas? Uh, do people get excited about them? Do others kind of look at you like you're crazy, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of one way is, to, to really kind of gut check your ideas based on the people you trust and their feedback. Number two, when I look at this list and I would say, um, which ones can we experiment with and try uh, with very little cost? And cost could be not just outlay of money, but resources and time. And I think this is, yeah, um, that's good. This, I actually see marketing teams um, fail at this quite often. They want all or nothing. I have this idea. We have to go spend a ton of money and go do it. It's like a zero or one uh, outcome. 
versus I want to launch this ABM campaign. Got to go buy a platform now for exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to run a six month campaign. I'm going all in versus um, great idea and vision. What is like the one thing I could do to like test this out in a very cheap yeah. experimental way? And so I think another way to think about your list of ideas is um, which ones can I test easily Which versus like some are you know, require more resources and time and effort to even test. And so what are the ones that are um, easy kind of versus hard? I'd rank them like that. Yeah. What this then allows a team to do, and every team should have this, is they should be thinking of um, the tasks and the activities they do in terms of like sand, you know, pebbles and rocks. And I love this analogy. Product teams use this, so I didn't create it, but I love the idea of applying it to a go-to-market function. And that is, there are going to be big rock things that we're going to do that require a lot of time, effort, and money. Product launch examples, maybe an event, et cetera. And then there's kind of the the pebbles. Those are the things that are you know medium in size, but we're going to do them. Maybe they're, they're ongoing programs that you're running, kind of the always-on and then there's the sand and you really want the sand to be like, what are, how do we maximize our experiments that we can run where they're cheap and easy to do, but they're going to become the outcome of those experiments will lead to, you know, future pebbles and future rocks. If you can think of like small, medium and large. Yeah. And so that's how I would think about these ideas that kind of sit outside the day-to-day tactics. Where are they going to insert into the framework of execution? Can they answer in a small way, sand, or do they have to come in as pebbles or do they have to come in as rock? And when you think of it that way, it kind of gives you an idea of how much work you need to do behind the scenes in terms of planning, consensus, uh, sell in, so forth and so on. That makes sense? Yeah, that's an awesome framework. I mean, to, to recap that, you have kind of the gut feel as like kind of a baseline, like do I talk to people? Do they freak out? Do they love it? One additional bullet point I would add to that one that I found is awesome is like when you, again, when you involve other people just to get their gut feel, they bring new ideas and they de- they help you to develop the idea. And so it actually becomes a lot better. It like tests, um, it, it kind of pressure tests the idea um, and it actually improves it in, in my experience. So that's a separate topic, but so you've got the gut feel and then you've got like, yeah, finding cheap experiments, cheap um, experiments. What can I experiment quickly with little to no resources and what does success look like? And then we can move from an experimentation phase into like an operationalizer scale phase where maybe we're experimenting at, at the sand or the pebble level. And then, hey, we've uncovered a stone here, a rock. Um, and this is why we should move on this rock. You have a lot better data there. And then the, your, your final criteria there was just a larger categories of prioritization um, when it comes to impact, right? I think of like throwing sand, not a lot of impact. You throw a, a stone, there's a lot more impact to the organization, both upside and downside, potentially. Um, so yeah, I think that was a super powerful framework. I wanted to ask you, because um, I think it's, it's, it's related. You talk a lot on LinkedIn about not like, you know, how it's really popular sometimes for like marketing uh, influencers to be like, find a new CEO that gets marketing. And I think, uh, and then you, you kind of have like um, a more controversial take on it where you're like, Hey, more often than not, it's actually probably the other way around. 
And um, the marketer needs to figure out how to get the CEO. Like that's the directional misalignment that's more important than focusing on the, the, the inverse of that scenario. And I feel like these topics sort of overlap. So I wanted to ask you, and I guess pivot towards maybe talking a little bit more about this idea of as you're running experiments, how do you begin to figure out which ones in, in kind of your framework here, like how do I better understand the CEO and people may be above me in the chain of command so I can make sure that what it is that I'm working on is aligned with them and not just aligned with them, but like I'm speaking their language. I, I get this a lot in my, in my, in sales conversations where marketers, one of the mistakes they make is they have these great ideas. They have great initiatives. They're tested. They're proven. They've done all this great work, but when they go to pitch it or translate it, or they, they fail to translate it at all. Right. And they don't speak CEOs language. They don't speak the CFO's language. That can be a really frustrating moment when you're trying to push an initiative forward. So do you see these topics as related, you know, at all? And, you know, maybe talk a little bit about how you see kind of those types of interpersonal relationships as we're driving change in an organization. Yeah, I think they're very related. And let me kind of, I'll try to think, I'll try to apply what we've discussed in the context of talking to, let's call it the CEO. Yeah. Um, I do agree. I think most CEOs understand marketing to some level, but you got to remember the CEO is talking to marketers, sales team, product teams, finance, legal, employees. And so they're not going to be the expert. They've hired you to be the expert. Right. right. I think where marketers fall down is they just assume that the CEO understands um, marketing to the point of like, this is obvious. It kind of goes back to where have I made mistakes in the past? It's just assuming that my idea is obvious and everybody should get on board. The way I've been successful playing this out, I mean, it's, it's taking our framework and I'll walk through it and putting on steroids, current state, brutal honesty. You have to be, you can't leave any wiggle room. This is the situation we're in today. Two, this is where we want to go. These are our objectives we aren't going to get there. And you have to put your ass out there and be able to make that statement and back it up. If you leave any wiggle room, the CEO is going to be like, all right, you'll figure it out. I'm going to go on. I have 10 other fires to fight. I'm going to go fight them. Uh, it doesn't sound like there's a big issue here. You know, just do marketing better. And they leave. You can't leave that wiggle room. You need to be current state, future state. We're not going to get there the way we're doing it today. I have a plan. Here's how we're going to get there. And it needs to be in detail. As you've talked about already, you need to have a plan. Ideally, you've had this plan bought in and you've sold it into the company at various levels. So when the CEO goes to the head of sales and says, have you heard this plan? They're like, yeah, I like it. Let's go do it. Um, but if not, you, it needs to be you know a strong vision on how you get from you know current state to future state. And you need to be able to sell it. Just like you need to be able to drive change and influence your customers or, you know, your own marketing organization. You need to be able to do that at the CEO level uh, in the language um, that person understands. It's no different. Just the stakes are higher um, and the position you need to take oftentimes is more strong. And then from there, what do you need to do? As we talked about, if you've, you've tried to build the consensus, which I think is a great point you've made, and you need to lay out the options, and those options need to be crystal clear. Do nothing gets gets A. Um, 
Do what I recommend gets B. Do something in between or alternative C, you know, gets D. You got to be able to put that out there. So it can't be enough. You can't just sell vision. You have to sell a plan. You have to give options and you have to give consequences. And it needs to be very clearly communicated in a way that the CEO and the senior leadership understand. And when you do that effectively, what I find often is they make the right decision. When you don't do that well, they send you back to the drawing board. They don't listen. They're kind of like a customer, like our biggest competitor. Any company's biggest competitor is a status quo. It's not another vendor yeah. because you didn't make your case strong enough for them to change. So then they don't change. Right. And that's what happens oftentimes between marketers and CEOs. And so what do we hear on LinkedIn? The CEO doesn't get marketing. I call bullshit on that. You didn't make your case strong enough for change. Bottom line. It's kind of like blaming uh, the buyer for losing a deal is kind of, it's kind of what it's like, right? You lose a deal and you're like, Oh, the buyer just didn't get it. You know, like got to better find new buyers, you know? And it's just like, that's the wrong mentality to take. Um, sometimes you, whatever you lose deals, but that's the wrong mentality to take because it's not like a self-reflective ownership, like an extreme ownership type of, of mindset exactly. where it's like, okay, there may be external factors here at play and then maybe this just wasn't a good fit, but what did I contribute? to this, uh, what can I change, right? It's like taking that self-reflective view. And that's to, to your point, I call bullshit too, um, the CEO doesn't get marketing. And I think the more negative um, trait or whatever, like underneath it all is, I'm not thinking enough about my role and responsibility. I'm not taking ownership over this outcome, the outcome being failed to bring change in this way, you know? And I think that more often is the case than a CEO that doesn't get marketing. Another thing that I think is interesting is like the CEO has hired you to get marketing. So there should also be a level of like, I don't like, where do we get to a point where we expected the CEO to get marketing? If that makes sense, you know, like how did we even get there? I wouldn't expect a CEO that maybe comes from like a product background. Um, that's maybe a developer uh, earlier in their career. And that's how they became CEO. I wouldn't expect them to get sales. I would expect that I have to educate, right? And say, hey, this is how sales works. This is what we're seeing. These are the reports, qualitative, quantitative, and get them on the same page to make a decision. But anyways, that I think is fascinating too, that just that mindset it sets you up for failure. And you're going to do a lot of job hopping if you're trying to find this unicorn of a CEO who happens to get marketing, you know? Um, so Yeah, absolutely. You know what you never hear? I never hear CFOs, CPOs, heads of engineering, heads of sales, heads of uh, HR talent saying their CEO doesn't understand their function. Yeah. I think you said it perfectly. It's your job to understand the function. Right. And be effective. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe there's one out of 20 CEOs out there that don't understand marketing, but oftentimes, and even when I reflect back to my failures, it wasn't the CEO. It was my ineffectiveness. Right. In that relationship. And yeah. I think most marketers don't want to admit that. And they yeah. need to. That's yeah. how you get better. Yeah, 100%. And that's the only way you're going to get better at affecting change, you know, not only getting better as a marketer, but just honing this skill of that's something I'm learning, right? As like a new, uh, a newly minted sales leader here, it's, it's, there's a lot more going on than just being an individual contributor, which I think a lot of marketers see themselves as that. They're individual contributors, even even like a VP of marketing. I think sometimes I get the vibe that they 
have this individual contributor mindset. They haven't transitioned into being a marketing leader. And that when you change your mind about what you're supposed to be doing, it's like it's not tactical and really anymore. Um, it's not button pushing. It's not being in ad platforms and watching, you know, frequency caps and all these little things. It's like it's it really is political. It's interpersonal. It's understanding the business as a whole. It's developing your business acumen in a whole new way. What are questions that CFOs ask, that boards ask, things like that, that I need to get up to speed on? I think that's exciting. Um, I'll give I'll give one uh, mental model for uh, a new VP or a CMO, and this will probably be another podcast episode. It's the understanding of who your first team is as a senior most leader of a function. Your first team, the team that you belong to first and foremost in an organization, is the rest of the senior leadership team. That's mm. how you need to be thinking. That's good. Chris says this often. Think like the CEO. Everybody in the company can do that. But if you're the CMO and the VP, your first team is your peer group, not the marketing organization. You just happen to be a senior leader running marketing. You're not a marketer who's a senior leader. And I think if you create that mindset, um, you'll see your business different. You'll see your relationships different. Um, and you'll be more successful as a, as a senior marketer. Yeah. Yeah, that's super powerful. Um, I don't know, write that down here. I mean, that that's, you know, thinking through any leadership function. It's like, yeah, it's like I'm not I still think of myself as on the sales team and not necessarily as a part of like a more senior leadership team across the organization where I'm actually aligned with my peer group being maybe director of marketing, director of customer success, director of services, whatever it is, director of growth. So, yeah, it's a really powerful shift. And I think that's a part of that transition away from what my function is on like tactically, maybe even for, for customers or whatnot. But what is my function within how this organization grows um, holistically? So it's a totally different mindset. Yeah, that was powerful. Well, this has been fun, Carl. All right. We should probably wrap it up, get back to work. Let's do it. I'll leave you with the parting thought. Anything that you'd like to say to kind of uh, put a bow on what we talked about today? Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of pressure. We talked about like four different frameworks today. Um, I think the parting thought is uh, get help, like loop in others. You know, don't do this alone. It's the same thing I shared with new reps at HubSpot. Same thing I share with reps today. I share with other peers in my group. It's Get help, find that community where you can uh, build kind of that trust, reach out to people, ask questions. It's the only way to, to grow and learn in your career. Um, so yeah, that's my parting thought. Find others. I love that. That is good. Um, where do, um, yeah, I'll give one parting thought too. Um, just kind of a takeaway. And that is, I think there's never been a better time to be a marketer, but your job within your first team, within your marketing organization, and you in the market is to always be driving change. This needs to be the mental model that you need to have, the mindset that you have when you get up every day. And so hopefully what we've been able to do is kind of outline a few ways uh, for marketers and any other senior leader or individual in the company to figure out how to drive change and influence others. So um, appreciate that, uh, this conversation, Carl, where, where's the best way to reach it? How do people engage with you? Get more of your words of wisdom. 
LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I think you and I both will be probably breaking down a lot of this podcast on LinkedIn posts. So definitely follow us uh, there. And yeah, if there's any questions or anything, we're happy to reach out. You know, if you're trying to drive change in your organization with or without a partner like Refine Labs, we're happy to have a conversation with you and guide you on that. So yeah, LinkedIn, reach out. That's perfect. All right. Thanks, Carl, again. I really enjoyed the conversation for everyone else out there. Yep. This is a wrap. Stacking Growth Podcasts. We're out. See ya.